Hendricks, get in there. Get in there. It's Tuesday night. Get Oregon has scored a touchdown. Time to break down the upcoming battle. Can you believe it? Believe Talking X's and O's with the coaches, players, and experts. Welcome to Ducks Gridiron with Brian Perkins and Eric Ringering on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 750 and 1029 the game. Final hour of the show. Ducks Gridiron, Perkins and Ringer with you. Going around the Pac-12 here. Anthony Newman going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Looking forward to that conversation. He joins us every week. Check him out on the Coors Light pre- and post-game show before and after every Ducks contest here on 750 and 102.9 The Game. And that includes next Thursday. And I also want to announce that the Quack Attack will be from 1.30 to 3.30 next Thursday, leading in to the Coors Light pre-game show right before Oregon and Arizona State. So myself and Jordan Kent will be uh, getting you started with Ducks coverage. We're actually going to do uh, game day coverage starting at noon, leading all the way into uh, IMG coverage. I'm really excited for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Should be a neat little day we got going on. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, Jordan Ken always brings great insight. So I'm I'm happy to announce that. I found that out today, and I'm really excited uh, as always to work with Mr. Kent before every Duck game. All right, let's go around the Pac-12 here, Ringer. Uh, Stanford. Let's start with the Thursday night game. Stanford, UCLA. The Cardinal run away with it. Christian McCaffrey went off. Four touchdowns, 243 yards. First of all, Stanford was not who we thought they were. We did not let them off the hook, but Ringer, I am baffled with how they have rebounded after losing at Northwestern. And that loss still doesn't look great, but it was week one, so you can kind of let it slide. I would say that if Stanford finds a way to win out, would you consider them a legitimate college football playoff threat? Absolutely. That team looks like it has the pedigree of Ohio State last season. That's a good point. Four one seven seventy five seventy five. And Christian McCaffrey is he a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate right now? No, he's not. Come it, on. It was just the one big game. Eight hundred forty four yeah. yards on the season so far. He he. Right now he is not. I mean, he has to. If you are playing at that position, look what Leonard Fournette's doing is like uh, Herschel Walker, Adrian Peterson type running down there, and. Even beyond that, he that's just not the kind of offense that bodes well for a Heisman Trophy candidate. So he would need to get that all-purpose yardage up very high. You can't just you can't just be a running back there. You have to be a receiver. You'd probably have to return punts. I know he does all of those things, but I mean he needs to do all of those things every single game in order to remain in that conversation. Because right now, I think Jared Goff has a better chance than he does, and I don't think he's got a very good chance. Jared Goff basically threw his opportunity out the window at Utah, in my opinion, with the poor game that he played. It's not about the loss. It's about how badly he played in that game. He looked terrible, but if he was able to rebound and they only lost one more game this season, and depending on what happens with guys like Trevon Boykin and Leonard Fournette, I mean, he's probably going to be right there in the conversation. Now, I don't expect that to be the way this goes, but I'm just saying if I don't even consider Christian McCaffrey the number one Heisman Trophy trophy candidate in this conference. So I certainly <laughs> I get what you're saying. don't okay. consider him a Heisman Trophy candidate overall. That's fair. That's fair. And we'll take a look at some other teams because I've, I've been curious now. We're, kind, we're in the midway point of the season, and I want to know what legitimate Heisman candidates are coming out of the conference, which is why I asked you that question because – Really, when you look at it, there's not a lot of guys. Devontae Booker has had a nice season, but it's it, despite the fact that Utah is undefeated, he hasn't put up the numbers, in my opinion, 
to warrant a Heisman candidate sniff, as far as I'm concerned. And maybe if he really puts the team on his back here late in the season, I, I just don't really see a lot of legitimate candidates coming out of the conference. I don't either. Like I said, I, I say Jared Goff. Yeah. And beyond that, I don't know. I, I yeah. Luke, I Falk, really don't know. No, he's maybe in the future with how he's playing. He's only a sophomore. Uh, let me ask you this: Seth Russell for Baylor. Is he maybe the most legitimate quarterback candidate right now? He's thrown for 1,900 yards, 27 touchdowns, five interceptions, a 63% completion percentage right now. Is he a legitimate quarterback Heisman candidate? Because we haven't seen very many this year. I think he is. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because he plays in the the offense that allows that to happen. You look at every Heisman Trophy winner for the last, what, five years? Marcus Mario. High-powered offense, one of the best teams, played quarterback. Johnny Manziel, high-powered offense, kind of one of the best teams, played quarterback. Cam Newton, high-powered offense, one of the best teams, played quarterback. Jameis Winston, high-powered offense, played for the best team, played quarterback. RG3, his situation was at Baylor before Baylor was even this team that they are now. But you play quarterback in a system that allows you to get a ton of stats and you don't lose many games... That's how you win the Heisman, unfortunately. That that sucks for guys like Leonard Fournette, who probably deserve it more, but that's just the way that seems that uh, voters keep, seem to be voting. They they vote based on stats. Now, if he does what he do, he's continuing to, or if he continues what he's doing, I think it's going to him. Four one seven seventy five seventy five. Stanford, though, legit. UCLA has fallen off a little bit, that's for sure. But with the injuries that they've had, um, you know, not surprising. Josh Rosen has had a nice. Rookie, a rookie freshman season, I think, threw for three touchdowns, but did have two interceptions as well. Um, I will say this. I'm never sad when Jim Mora Jr. loses a football game. I feel bad for his players, not for him. No, the guy is not nice. He, no, he's a knob. He makes it very tough to root for him. I, I don't like him very much. I love his dad. Love his dad. And I do think he's okay in terms of motivating players, but he's... I just can't root for the guy who who treats people the way he does. I just think that um, he throws his players under the bus, and with, yes. with the Miles Jack comments that we talked about a exactly. couple weeks ago uh, is a perfect example of that. All right, some games on Saturday. Of course, Utah beats Arizona 34-18. to The Sun Devils held a lead in that game ringer at one point, uh, by one point, by the way, but Utah with an explosive fourth quarter, including that long Devontae Booker touchdown run of 62 yards, blew that game wide open at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Utah won this game in a different way, I think, to a certain extent than they had in other games. With Cal, they jumped out to a big lead early and had to hold off the Bears to win that game. Against Oregon, we saw what happened, obviously. They've been winning in pretty spectacular fashion, even against Michigan early this year, right? They win that game. They were pretty much, uh, that game was out of hand. The score was closer than the game indicates. This game, they had to come from behind. They faced some adversity, and they were able to win. They're 6-0. and you look at their schedule for the remainder of the season. At USC, coming up on Saturday, possible letdown. Got to be careful there. Oregon State at home, W. At Washington, most likely a win. At Arizona, if a new Solomon's healthy, that's going to be tough. UCLA at home, Colorado at home to close out the regular season schedule. Are we finally going to look at the Utes as a legitimate threat in the Pac-12 conference? And are they the best team in the conference? I think you have to, by now, look at them as a legitimate threat threat in the Pac-12 conference and in the national champ or national champion picture uh, because look their best win it was not Oregon it was Michigan and Michigan probably should have won on Saturday 
they let a moment of brain fart basically just, yep yeah j- just a collapse happen at the wrong time and they're they're not going to be able to rebound from it very easily so now Michigan State who beat Oregon beat them so i look i think that Michigan was a better team than Oregon was and when you it hurts their pedigree a little bit that they lost that game but they they still have won all their games and what you're seeing from this team is they're like you said, they're winning in multiple different uh, fashions, and what that does that usually that's usually the recipe for a national champion type team, or at least contender, you, because you're going to have games where the offense doesn't work or the defense doesn't work. They're winning in every way possible. That's usually how a team gets to a, a place like the college football playoff. Four one seven seventy five seventy five, and you know one thing that I think about is, of course, um, back in twenty ten when the Ducks went to the national championship game. I know they didn't win, but that season, remember that game against Cal? It yes. was a, it was that ugly road game in November. It was like 15 to 13, something of that nature. It was a really just a dirty game ringer. And you look at that game and you go, wow, that was really good for Oregon to have to face that kind of adversity instead of just blowing teams out. That's how I feel with the way that Utah has, has approached games this season. Are they going to run the table? I'm still not confident in that because they still lack playmakers like USC, Arizona, UCLA have, but obviously they're a legitimate threat. And then, of course, they'd have to get past a team maybe like Stanford in the Pac-12 championship game. But, man, they're off on the right track, and they are certainly a threat in the Pac-12 conference for years to come. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know what's going to happen with this team because I, I still can't fully buy Travis Wilson because the steps he's made this year are monumental compared yeah. to what he has last year, and I don't know if I trust that. But... I can deal with the lack of playmakers. I can't deal with the quarterback who was so inconsistent every year leading up to this point. So if, if that's truly changed, then they do have a legitimate shot. But they they don't have an easy schedule coming up. They've got some wins that are going to happen, and they've got some tough games. But they do have guys that they can rely on, and they do have a great coach, and they've been in this situation before. This is I know they haven't been in this situation before in this conference, but this is a team that's beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. This is a team that went, did they go undefeated with Urban Meyer? I can't remember, but they've done this with Urban Meyer. So yeah. it's not unheard of for Utah to come in here. They just haven't done it in this conference Yeah, yet. just being in a power conference obviously elevates that, uh, of course, as we remember, like you mentioned, against that Alabama game. Uh, yeah, and you look at him, he just he's not turning the ball over, Travis Wilson. Three picks so far this season, seven touchdowns. Obviously, the touchdown number isn't high, but they're also not asking as much from him, I feel like. The completion percentage is higher. It's the highest of his career at almost seven, uh, 68% this season, and it's a lot of shorter routes. His yards per attempt is actually... Uh, the highest of his, or excuse me, the second highest of his career. But really, you look at him and they're not putting him in a position where he can fail. And props to the coaching staff for really just trying to play to his strengths. And it's worked so far this year. Yeah, the way it's just fortunate the way the schedule has set up because with Oregon, you expected them to be a better offense and probably a better defense. With Cal, you knew they were a good offense, not a very good defense. So you can rely on one point of your, your team there and the other part of it hasn't had to step up. So in the in the case of Cal, the I mean the defense had its it had its up and ups and downs with Jared Goff, but 
they were able to come back from that, and their defense is stronger than their off than Cal's offense. Four one seven seventy five seventy five. We're going to continue to go around the Pac twelve next. We're going to talk about USC on the road against Notre Dame. We're going to talk about the Beavers as well, along with Arizona against Colorado, and look at the conference as a whole. Anthony Newman going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Can't buy me love. Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Very good choice, Ringer, with the music. I like this one. Throwback Tuesday. The theme tonight, anything with the word buy in the title, because it's, of course, the Ducks bye week. Good idea from you, Eric. I like it. 417-7575. It's Perkins and Ringer with you. Let's go back to the phones. Andrew's in, down in uh, Woodburn. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, man. What's on your mind? Uh, so... Get to bear with me just a moment because I'm going to get right to a point. But I was driving earlier, and I love your guys' show. I love your guys' station. I listen to it all the time, which brought me to thinking about the Pac-12 and the Ducks as well. And I'm a diehard Duck fan. I watch every game, whether I think we're going to win or lose. And it made me want to ask you guys a question. At the end of the season last season, when the Ducks played Ohio State for the national championship, we were arguably the best uh, conference in college football. And and we had more power in our conference than the other co- uh, conferences did in theirs. Yes. But I'm kind of wondering what you guys think about the uh, idea that maybe the Pac-12 is the sleeping beast this season. Sleeping Beast, what do you mean by that, that it's going to wake up late in the year and we're going to see a lot of uh, good teams emerge? Is that what you're referring to? Or are you saying this is a down year for the conference? I'm kind of feeling like it's a down year. So we expected the Ducks to have a rebuilding season this year, and maybe it's a little worse than most people thought. But I'm also finding it that I'm not as watching as many Pac-12 games this year as I am maybe Big Ten and some SEC in there. And, I, and I'm just looking for the, the exciting games, the games where it's like Michigan versus Michigan State, where it's like two big games, that big, two big teams that have a lot on the line that are fighting for their spot in the championship fight. And so I'm kind of wondering if you guys think that maybe it is just a down season this year for the Pac-12, and maybe I could just get your input on it because I'm kind of at a loss for uh, – explaining how I feel about it this season. Yeah, Andrew, thanks for the call. Opens up a line of 417-7575, and I think he's right, Ringer. The, really, at this point, when, when you're talking about interest in the conference nationally, it's whoever's Utah playing, because you're trying to see if they can continue to build off of what they've already done and live up to the expectations, because we haven't seen the Utes do this since they've entered the Pac-12 conference. For example, not la- this last Saturday, but the Saturday before last against Cal, that was a late-night game, but that was a premier game. There were two undefeated teams, the last two in the conference, that were fighting for you know a spot at the college football playoff. And basically, the winner would be the only school with a chance to uh, continue that run. But he's right. There aren't as many marquee matchups this year. You look at where the Pac-12 is in the AP Top 25 ringer. Utah's third. You have to go all the way down to 10th. That's where Stanford sits. And then 20th is Cal. And that's it. <laughs> that's that's all you have right now in the top 25. You look at the Big Ten, who everyone thought would be terrible. Iowa's undefeated. And Ringer, you and I were looking at their schedule yesterday. 
It's plausible Not they run the table. Not too hard for them to remain undefeated. At least until the uh, Big uh, yes. Ten Championship game. Yeah, it, it looks very easy. But obviously Ohio State's undefeated. Michigan has looked great this year. They lost the last second to Michigan State, who's still undefeated. And then, of course, the SEC will always have uh, several good schools. And then Baylor and TCU uh, reigning supreme in the Big 12. But it does feel like a down year to me in the conference, no doubt about it. But... I'm also excited about the prospects because Utah's finally establishing themselves. Luke Falk looks like he's going to be awesome, not only this season, but next. So Washington State's not going to be a slouch. Washington has a bunch of young pieces and a very good coach to build on. Ringer, there's a lot to be excited about for this conference as a whole moving forward. Yeah, uh, to getting to the first part, I, I don't know how you wouldn't think this is a down year. And that ba- that was pretty much obvious when... USC lost immediately and Oregon lost immediately because those are the two marquee programs of the conference recently. Uh, and Stanford lost imme- immediately. They've managed to build themselves back up. But so USC's gone. UCLA's not in the picture. Oregon's not in the picture. Arizona State's not really in the picture. Those are probably most people's uh, big four of the conference uh, heading into the season. And now none of those teams are really that relevant other than, I guess Stanford's not one of those teams. Stanford's another one of those teams that is relevant. And then when Utah, who came pretty much out of nowhere to be one of the best teams, that that looks weaker in the eyes of a lot of people, I'm sure. Even though that team is very strong, I just don't think that they're going to get national respect by anybody. 417-7575 here. we got to get to break in a second, but I'm looking at the, uh, the Pac-12 schedule here. Uh, the in two days, Cal and UCLA will play each other. Okay, that's that's a fine matchup, but not it probably won't have any ramifications nationally. Utah USC people will keep an eye on because Utah is undefeated. Then you go into um you know week nine, week ten. There's really not a lot of marquee matchups. You're kind of waiting for the Pac-12 championship game to see who's going to be in it at this point, and you're keeping an eye on Utah. That's really what it is, and the teams you of course like watching. Yeah, I, I think you're watching Stanford and Utah to see how those two teams stack up against the competition, but. When it's not marquee matchups, it usually makes for great games. So that it, I don't think that you're going to see games that are on the national scene great. But if you want to see good football, you want to see t- teams going back and forth. I just watch these teams the rest of the season. I think you'll see a lot of it. Arizona Colorado was an entertaining game. It wasn't. Uh, I think it had no implications. I think Oregon but State Colorado is going to be an entertaining game. It is. I I, I I don't know a lot of people who want to watch it, but if you sit down and do it, I bet you'll love that game. I've been watching a lot of Pac-12 this year just because it is entertaining, and there's so many young guys that I'm I'm really excited. Rosen, uh, Collins at Oregon State, and Falk. There's a lot of young talent that's just really really. Oh, Falk is to watch. one of those guys. Uh, yeah, he takes too many sacks though, and uh, makes some terrible decisions. But that's okay. We'll talk about yes, three. that. Interception of the year. We'll talk about that on another touchdowns. night. Needs to make a decision in the pocket, Falk. Come on, Luke. Perkins and Ringer Anthony Newman joins us next year on the game. More of Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Final half hour of the show. We'll be back with you from 8 to 10 next Tuesday here on Ducks Gridiron, as we are every Tuesday during the Oregon Ducks football season. Let's get back to the phones now. We're joined by former Duck and NFLer Anthony Newman. Check him out on the Coors Light pre- and post-game show here on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Anthony, thanks for your time as always, my friend. We appreciate it. Uh, We've been talking about this all throughout the show. For the Ducks, it's all about you beat the Huskies, you beat the Beavers, 
and you win a bowl game, and fans will be satisfied. Well, I, I guess they got one of those done last Saturday. Yes, they do. Huh? <laughs> that's a that's a great goal. I I, I think they're gonna. Uh, get that, accomplish that goal. Um, they, you know, they beat the Huskies. I know they're going to beat the Beavers. But they're not going to lose to the Beavers at home. Uh, that's I'm, I'm not going to say anything else about that. I'll wait. Uh, and then, and then, winning the bowl game. So whatever bowl game they go to, uh, I think they have a real good chance with Vernon Adams at the quarterback position. He's Anthony Newman joining us here on Ducks Gridiron seven fifty and one zero two nine. The game, you know, Washington's defensive front was pretty good. I was I was getting tweets again uh, from one of our avid listeners saying that the offense for Oregon looked uh, relatively inept. But you know what? Vernon Adams looked comfortable back there. And even though, you know, 14 of 25, he has the two touchdowns, a QBR of 83. He has a pretty good game, Anthony, much better than what we've seen from Lockie or Allie. I mean, he definitely looks like he's the guy going forward. And it was nice to see him back healthy. Well, I don't know what people expect when, uh, when when you look at that game, going into the game in the the Washington defense, they're outstanding. I mean, they're, they're ranked number one in the Pac-12. So what's Oregon supposed to do, just run through them like they're not there? I mean, these guys defend the run. They defend the pass. They get after the quarterback. You know, they get turnovers. That's a good football team. And it's a well-coached football team. And when you have a guy like Vernon Adams who can make a difference, he's a playmaker. And, and that's why Oregon was happy to have him back in the lineup. He makes a difference. And so if the, if the offense is struggling, he's the guy that's going to step up and make something happen. And he did that with buying time for receivers to get open downfield. Because it, from the first part of the play, of each play, it was a passing play. The receivers were covered. And then Vernon was able to scramble a little bit, buy time. He's not a runner. He wants to throw the ball. Did a great job. Sticking with the fa- the passing game, Anthony, I wanted to ask you about Darren Carrington and the job he did on Saturday. What does he bring to that offense that none of the other receivers seem to have? Well, you know, I think maybe those those two may have a connection. You know, I've heard in the past that you know they, they're uh, there's a rapport there that's that's going on. Uh, Carrington is not the fastest guy. I mean, there's guys faster than him. Devin Allen's faster than Darren Carrington. You know, Charles Nelson is, is faster. Uh, now he's playing defense. But I think Carrington understands the receiver position. Uh, he knows how to get open. Uh, you, when, when you look at uh, Adams when he scrambles, Darren Carrington, he knows what to do as a receiver. How do you get open? Look at your quarterback. Make that eye contact with the quarterback. You guys are in the same zone knowing, what, hey, I need to get to the sideline because he's going to throw it over there because he's scrambling to the sideline. So, you know, Darren Carrington is a guy that, that brings – it's not just experience, but I think he brings the, 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 the receiver skills that Oregon's looking for, the true receiver skills, the guy who can really run routes, the guy who can catch the ball, you know, uh, sur- surrounded by defensive backs, and a guy that's going to, uh, you know, really make that play. He's Anthony Newman joining us here on Ducks Great Iron 750 and 102.9 The Game. Uh, also, uh, you know, I, I know we want to talk about the positives. They won. They beat the Huskies, all that. But I need an explanation. With a minute 20 left in the fourth quarter, yeah. all you have to do is run the football, and there is no way, even if Browning is the quarterback, that he is going to dink and dunk his way down the field to score a touchdown and win that game. Why do you think the coaching staff – Call the play to throw the football. I, I'm, I, I've been racking my brain all weekend, Anthony, and I can't figure it out. Well, you know, the, the play, I think, had an option for Adams to either run the football or throw the football. And 
you know, it, it gave him an option to, you know, run the clock down uh, by, by, by getting to the outside, outside the pocket. He can run a little bit because they knew that if he had ran, the clock's going to keep running. But Adams, I think, made the mistake seeing that Johnny Munt was wide open. I mean, he's wide open. So you're thinking, well, why not just throw the first down, throw the ball and get a first down, and the game's over with. But that was a bad throw. He happened to make a bad play. I don't think there was anything wrong with the play call because when when you see Vernon Adams scramble to the outside, and yes, you can maybe say, let's call a running play. But at the same time, you want to say, I want to win this game. I want to get the first down so this offense can't get back on the field. And I think that's why they did that. Adams had a choice to run or throw. He saw Munt was wide open, and he underthrew it. Kind of sticking with that, the other head-scratching play I saw from that game, opening series, Oregon gets the touchdown and then doesn't elect to go for the extra point, instead goes for two. How did you feel about that decision? <laughs> they always do that stuff. I, I'm not a, a fan of going for two. Just kick the extra point and, and uh you know, put seven points on the board. I, I just that's that's what the coaches like to do, and that's that's who they are. So I mean, they've been doing it forever. It's not it's it's nothing new. So you know, for me, I can't be surprised. You know, oh, why they're doing that? Why did they do that? They never do that. They always do that, <laughs> and they make it sometimes, and they don't make it sometimes. So they have confidence in their offense that they will score more points to to, to win the football game. I, but I, hey, I, I don't know why they go for two at times. They see something with Tom Osborne, the special team coach. He sees an opportunity when he looks at the the uh, PAT defense. Um, you know, point out the touchdown defense. He's he's looking at it. You know, he's saying, hey, we can get a couple extra points. Let's go ahead and run this play. Uh, but sometimes the, def, the you know the defense will come out and, and make a stand and, and stop those plays. Looking back, it's, it's uh, some more positives here. You don't, we don't want to focus too much on the negatives, right? Uh, right. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because they did win the game after all. Taj Griffin. That's right. <laughs> that's right. 12 in a row. That's right. 2003, <laughs> baby. We get to go over that again next year. I'm excited for that. Uh, Taj Griffin was held in check by Washington. But Royce Freeman, I thought, even though the run game wasn't working at times, they stuck with it, and he ends up with a really nice line there with 138 rushing yards. What did you think of his performance and just the decision to really just keep trying to go back to him and really get that run game going. Well, think about it. Okay, Oregon ran for 170 yards on the ground. You know, Washington's defense is number one in the Pac-12. They only gave up 112 yards, or, uh, excuse me, 121 yards per game. So against a very stingy, stingy defense, Oregon took care of business. Oregon ran the football. Royce Freeman ran the football very well. Uh, you know, Tosh Griffin was yes, he was held in check. He had a couple of runs that were were some negatives. You know, running east and west. That's why I don't like those east and west plays. I just want to go north and south and hit a hole and accelerate through the defense. But Royce Freeman was a beast. He, you know, 27 carries. He's carrying the football. He's carrying the load uh, for the offense. He, he's doing his thing, and that's what you need. It's that it's that thunder lightning combination between speed and power. You got the power of Royce Freeman. You got the lightning of Taj Griffin, and now you have that quarterback in the position to throw the football. So now you have balance. You have balance when you run the football with, with speed and power, and you have balance from an offensive standpoint with throwing the football and running the football. Anthony, I wanted to look at the defensive side of the ball for a second. I thought this was by far the best play we've seen out of the secondary. 
Was that because of the switch they did putting Jawan Williams, Charles Nelson, Aaron Springs, and Tyree Robinson there? And how did that affect the defensive side of the ball? Well, Tyree Robinson now is playing corner. I mean, he, he's a big, tall corner that you got to deal with. And he's playing very well at that position. I think they put him there full time and said, you go play corner. You know, Juwan Williams came in and was playing lights out at safety with Charles Nelson. Two fast guys, two really fast guys at the safety position. Both can cover the receiver in the slot position if they have to cover, and both will come down and hit you, and they play fast. It brings more speed to the defense. Uh, And I think with the height of Tyree Robinson at corner, his playing ability, he's aggressive. They got better tacklers on the field. I still say that you know the tackling needs to be worked on for the Oregon defense. I, I don't think Oregon's a very good tackling team as a whole. Um, but who am I to say? I mean, I, that's just what I see. But they will get better. But they played a lot better. But it always starts up front. It always starts with that defensive line, with that with that pressure from Alex Balducci and DeForest Buckner and the linebackers coming through, chasing the quarterback out. All right, Anthony, just hang on the line. We'll continue with our conversation. Anthony Newman next right here on your Home of Ducks football, 750 and 102.9 The Game. This is Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Final segment of the show here. It's Perkins and Ringer with you. Anthony Newman rejoins us on the phone lines. Anthony, thanks for coming back here for a few more minutes. So the Ducks get the win over Washington, but they'll have some tougher tasks later in the season against the likes of Arizona State a week from Thursday, USC, Stanford, do you feel now, though, that Vernon Adams is back and things are finally back on track after that win up at UW? Well, I think for me that I saw improvement with the offense and the defense as a team. You know, that, that's, and that's what you want to see. You can't ask for anything else. You, you just, can you ask your team to get better from week to week? Are they better you know, from, from last week to this week? Yes, they're a better football team. That's what you ask for. That's what you want. So now you take that and you go into your next game against your next opponent and you say, okay, we played better last week. I think we're going to be okay. We have a couple of key guys back in the lineup that's going to help us. Yes, the chances are good. Every game that you go into, you have a chance to win that game. I think when you got guys hurt out of the lineup and, and then they play bad, then you say to yourself, wow, God, I don't know about this week. That This is going to be a battle. I don't know if we're going to win this one. But from here on out, you can say with everybody back in the lineup and how they played against Washington that you have a chance to win each game. Each game you have a chance to win because they're a good enough football team to win those games. All right, we're entering the bye week. You mentioned the poor tackling already today. What do you think this team needs to desperately work on with this week off? Well, first of all, everybody needs to get healthy because this is a great time to have a bye week midseason. You, you just you banged up a little bit, so you got to get your legs back underneath you. You got to take care of yourself, get some sleep. You know, get healthy so you can play at a high level. Uh, football scheme wise, you know, just keep doing what you need to do, and the communication, the talking. Uh, understanding your role and your responsibility, not making those mistakes. And I think that's getting a lot better. So keep working on that. Keep, keep getting better at what you do best. You know, if, 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 the, if the Oregon's defense, they run some kind of certain uh, coverage or blitz package they run very well, get better at it. That's your thing. That's your go-to call. Get real good at what you do. You know, from an offensive standpoint, you know, I, I think they keep running the football. You know, the offensive linemen keep working on their run blocking. 
Uh, be consistent in what you do. That's the biggest thing that you look for is being consistent in, in every game, on every snap, every series. And you work on that during practice. And so, you know, the tackling, yes, it, as, as a team, I, I think they have to work on that during, during the, the bye week. But how do you do that? You're trying to get healthy. You know, you can't tackle to the ground in practice. But there, I guess you could, you could do certain things, certain drills that uh, doesn't cause for guys banging into each other um, to, get your, to help your tackling. Tackling is all about the heart, okay, and the desire. It, that's what it really is. I mean, yeah, you can have all the technique and all that, and you can teach guys, but if you don't have heart and desire to get to the running back or the receiver, then you're not going to make that tackle. You've got to have hustle and determination to get your body in position to make the tackle. Otherwise, you're not going to make the tackle. You're going to reach and dive. And once you dive, okay, and take your feet off the ground, uh, now you can't make a good tackle. Anthony Newman joining us for a few minutes more here on 750 and 102.9 The Game, your home for Ducks football. Uh, straying a little bit from Oregon and looking at a pro duck real quick, uh, Ifo Ekpreolomu, I don't know if you saw the story, it came out on Monday from Darren Ravel of ESPN, but he collected a $3 million insurance policy this week after falling in the draft because he was projected to be a top 12 pick in the first round. He slips to the second, or excuse me, seventh round and now is collecting a $3 million insurance policy. Uh, we talk a lot about these guys, you know, being amateurs and that they're risking, uh, you know, some money in the pros. We've seen now this kind of becoming a trend with some of the bigger name athletes uh, in this country. Do you think that this is maybe kind of the direction that, that we'll see players in schools going where it's like, well, you know, we want you to give it your all. We want you to give it 110% instead of just 50% because you're worried about your career long-term. So maybe insurance policies now are, are what we're going to see from a lot of these stars in college football. I mean, why not? I mean, you know, if, if he has an opportunity to make a lot of money, you know, and, but he decides to stay in college because everybody's always mad at him. Well, why'd you leave college? Stay in college, get an education and finish, finish what you started. Uh, yeah, but you're leaving, you know, a, you know, $10 million, $15 million contract on the table because you want to stay in school. That's the kid's choice. So he chooses to stay in school, but at the same time he's thinking, but you know what, let me try to take care of myself financially because, I'm taking that chance, and I may lose out on that $15 million. So, you know, let me take an out, out an insurance policy that's going to help me a little bit. It's not going to be the same. You know, I'm not getting $15 million, I'm getting $3 million. But that $3 million is, is something that if I get hurt, you know, that's, that's the chance I take. But I'm, I'm, getting, I'm protecting myself. And, you know, I would do the same. I, I, I really would. I, I, I would uh, make sure that I'm protected. If I, if I know that I was a high draft pick, and, I, and if I went out early, I left some money on the table, and I'm, I'm going to stay in college because that's what I want to do. I don't care about anybody else what they're saying about me. That's what, that's what I want to do. Then I'm going to protect myself. Anthony, looking back at that game on Saturday, in the fourth quarter, I believe it was, there was a particular play in which Brian Clay was called for targeting yeah. Yeah. that – you went back and looked at it. didn't look like there was much malicious intent. The guy's a senior. I thought he was just trying to make a play. How did you feel about the play? He ducked his head, Eric. You cannot – he hit, he hit Carrington, uh, I think it was Carrington, with the, with the, with the top of his crown. Luck, luckily, that clay, that defensive back, didn't break his neck. And I, what I saw on, on, on TV, and I slowed it down, and I didn't even show that to my daughter. I said – this is how guys get hurt, and this is why we tell guys, you look at your target, you hit with your face mask, or not even your face mask anymore, your chest, 
And it's, it's the new heads-up program, okay? That hit that he, you know, it, it, it didn't, I don't look at it as he's trying to hurt the receiver. I look at it as protecting the defensive back. Because I've seen more guys as a defensive backs get hurt on hits like that than the receiver. I'm not worried about the receiver because he's getting hit on the side. He's getting hit on the shoulder. It's the defensive back that's making that hit. He's the one you're scared for. And that guy ducked his head. You cannot duck your head. And I tell all these kids that I coach, do not duck your head when you hit somebody. That's the last thing you want to do. You might not walk again. He was lucky. He was very lucky. He's Anthony Newman joining us, and uh, that's the second consecutive game now they've had guys kicked out, the Washington Huskies. Uh, but, uh, hey, real quick, uh, I, I did want to ask you about the Michigan-Michigan State game. And I know you guys were kind of on air, you and Fletcher, for the Coors Light pregame <laughs> show at the end of that. I feel bad for the punter because he's getting death threats now, and it's absurd. Oh, it's, I mean, dang. I know. It's it's sports. It's like what, people are telling him to transfer, even though he averaged like almost 50 yards a punt the entire game. Um, I have a question for you. That is one of the wildest finishes to a football game that I've seen, um, Super Bowl Forty Nine aside. I'm curious from you, do you put that at all on Harbaugh for not getting into that punter's head saying, listen, if you drop that ball, fall on the football, fall on the football, because if he does that, the game is likely over anyway. All he had to do was fall on that football. Do you, does that go back to the coaching staff for not ingraining that into his head before that uh, snap took place? And um, here's the deal. Do we know that they didn't tell that punter or the special teams coach didn't tell that punter to do that? Do, does anybody know that? No. no. See, see, I know. So people are assuming that no one told the punter to do that because he just threw the ball up in the air. but maybe they told the punter on the sideline and the special team coach said if you drop the ball be sure that you just fall on it but see they're kids and they're humans so they make mistakes and they panic so when that punter all said when that ball was on the ground he was saying holy crap oh my lord (laughs) and he panicked he wasn't thinking he was thinking about i got to get this ball up and try to just kick it and it was too late and things happened so fast so when people sit here and watch TV and we're up in the stands and we're watching it and it all happens and then we see it on replay, we think, oh, man, why did he do that? Well, why did he do that? But you put yourself in that situation when you got that whole white team coming at you, all white, Michigan State, they're coming at you 100 miles an hour, and everybody knows that you have to catch the ball. Okay, yeah, the punt, but, the, you know, it's just, yes, he's in college. He's got a scholarship. He's a great punter. But sometimes a guy will make a mistake yeah. and drop a ball. Okay, it was the wrong timing for him to drop the ball, but he dropped the ball and he panicked. He didn't. He didn't think about whatever the coach told him on the sideline. Uh, it went out the window. Now again, maybe the coach didn't say anything. Yes, that's the coach's fault. If he didn't say anything, remind the kid if, the, if it's a bad snap or you fumble it, drop on it. But we don't know that. No one knows it except for Michigan. They know that, but we don't. We assume, but, you know, and it's sad for the punter to be getting death threats because that's ridiculous. It is. It's absurd. And I I feel bad for him because I think much like Kalen Clay for Utah, a a very nice career will probably be defined by one play that doesn't necessarily speak for him as a player. And I feel bad for him from that standpoint. How How about the offense get a first down and not to worry about it? That's exactly, that exactly. I'm with you. <laughs> how about the offense get a first down? Don't put it on the punter. Yeah. You know, how about the, the run, the offensive line create a hole so the running back can get the first down or the runner pick the right hole and make the right cut so he can get a first down. Yeah. That's a good point too. Anthony, last question before we let you go, Oregon state, 
got blasted by Washington State. The score was not even as close as the final score indicated because six touchdowns from Luke Falk in the first half. Um, the Beavers were kind of a nice story there until they began conference play, and now it's been a disaster for them on both sides of the ball. What do you think about their prospects? Is there, I mean, obviously the coaching staff is here to stay, and they need to get some of their guys in and their young team and all that. What do you think about the, the Beavers right now as they stand six games in? Yeah, they're a young team. Uh, I'm surprised that they're not, you know, running the football well with Storm Woods. I mean, he don't even he's not even a factor anymore, and so which is strange. You know, the the running the quarterback Collins he leads the team in rushing. He wants to run the football all the time. He he doesn't want to be a quarterback. He wants to be a running back. He's always running the football. Their defense was playing really good, and then now they've kind of fallen off. So now. Their offense was last in the Pac-12 of scoring points. They're only averaging 21 points per game, and the defense was being stingy, but now they're both kind of getting tired. I think the defense is like, hey, well, I'm tired of being out on the field here. You know, and you guys got to score some points, otherwise you can't, we can't keep stopping these guys. So they'll get better. They are so young, and it's a new system, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. He's Anthony Newman, Coors Light pregame show. Make sure to check him out there. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll uh, talk with you next week right here on Gridiron. Sounds good, but I appreciate it. All right, Ringer, there he is. We got just another moment here before the show ends. Final thoughts on the Ducks going into the bye week. Your biggest focus for them is? I just want to see him continue moving the ball on offense. The defense, I think, can come, but... As you know, defense and offense kind of need to work hand-in-hand. If one does its job, the other one will probably find a way to do its job as well. We weren't getting that through the first half of this season. We saw it once Vernon Adams is there. Vernon Adams being in the game changes the way they do things, but they do need to be better about tackling, like Anthony said. Want to thank you for joining us at Perkins Radio 13 on Twitter, at Ringering 45. A big thanks to Alex Moore as well for taking care of business behind the scenes. We'll talk with you next Tuesday, 8 to 10 on Ducks Gridiron, 750 and 1029 The Game.